let's talk about this new study that was done in twins. You had twins that you had 22 pairs of twins, so 44 people that were either assigned a omnivorous diet, which is a diet uh, that you can eat almost anything with no restrictions, or they were assigned, assigned a more vegan style diet. And the headlines have gone crazy. People are like, oh my God, vegan is the best. Oh my God, no, omnivore, carnivore. Like, you know, people are going crazy, wondering what on earth is going on. How can we understand this data? Like what the problem is. So just some background information before I get into the study. We'll dive deep into it. Obviously, it's only 44 people. It's 22 twins. And we'll get into that. But over time, we have known for the longest time that switching from almost any diet to one that is more plant-based. And let me tell you this, I'm not a vegan or a plant whole food, whatever. Like, don't, don't get me wrong here. You're going to start saying, Dr. Allo is a vegan or a vegetable eater. Well, yes, I do eat vegetables, but I also eat meat. So just have that in the back of your mind. Yes, I eat red meat occasionally. I eat lean meat. I eat that's not that. Ask the people I work with. Literally, they can tell you what I eat every day. But so just hold, keep that in mind. But we know from data that goes back many, many years that switching your diet from any diet to one that is more plant-based or whole foods-based has significant improvements in cardiovascular biomarkers and outcomes. However, this has never been studied in actual twins, especially identical twins, because identical twins, I think something like 90, 95% of their uh, genetic makeup is identical whereas other siblings and non-identical twins, it, they only share about 50-ish to 60% of their uh, genes. So this is a really, really well-done study. It was published in the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association, or JAMA, and it was titled, and it was published November 30th, 2023, like two or three days ago, and it was Cardiometabolic Effects of Omnivorous versus Vegan Diets in Identical Twins, a Randomized Clinical Trial. So the key question they wanted to answer was, what are the cardiometabolic effects of a healthy plant-based vegan versus a healthy omnivorous diet among identical twins during an eight-week intervention? Now, they didn't tell these people just eat anything, you know, the omnivorous side. It wasn't like just eat anything. They wanted both sides to eat still a what is considered healthy uh, diet. So that's, the mo that's a very important point to know just going into this. So one of the most important points is they wanted to do this intervention over two, uh, over eight weeks. Um, they had the they had one twin do the omnivorous healthy diet and one twin do the uh, uh, healthy vegetarian or you know plant based kind of diet. And the reason they wanted these in twins that live together is to eliminate the uh, effect of your environment. So if they lived in two separate cities, that would be a different story. One person eats this way, one person eats that way. So they wanted to look at it in twins that still uh, live together. And what they did was they provided food for them for four weeks. The first four weeks of the trial, they would send you or give you the food that you are supposed to consume. The weeks five through eight, the second uh, four weeks of the trial, they had the participants create their own food or make their own food in a way that was diet appropriate. So they taught them how to do it. The first four weeks, the food was provided. So they kind of get an idea of what's going on. And then the uh, second part of the diet or the second half of the intervention, which was the diet change, 
they actually had the participants make their own food. Now, it's also important to mention that this was published in the Journal of the American Medical Society. This is not a joke, hocus-pocus journal that some of these people publish their stuff in. This is a very well, you know, very prestigious journal that's peer-reviewed. Now, that doesn't mean you can't sneak bad stuff into here. You know, you could probably do that almost anywhere, but it's very difficult to. So it's a very well done, published in a really good journal. Not only that, it's a Stanford University uh, publication. So these were from Stanford University, published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. So high level, everything. Got a prestigious university, prestigious journal. This wasn't fake. This wasn't like some idiot publishing it in the, you know, Russian journal of whatever, you know, some nonsense where if you pay them enough, they'll, you know, maybe publish it. And I'm joking. You can't really pay people to publish your stuff. But still, this is not a joke of a study or a joke of a uh, institution. So what did they measure over these eight weeks? They measured a few things. They looked at, and this was not like a, you know, cardiovascular mortality or all-cause mortality because it was just eight weeks. No one is going to die in eight weeks, at least we don't hope. So what they did look at is biomarkers. They looked at LDL cholesterol, obviously, because that's huge. Number one thing any study should look at for cardiometabolic or cardiovascular you know, outcomes or endpoints should be LDL cholesterol or should have been ApoB, if you ask me, apolipoprotein B. Now, I do have a podcast on what is apolipoprotein B and what's the difference between LDL cholesterol and ApoB. So you could scroll back and listen to that one. But they looked at, uh, number one, low-density lipoprotein. That was um, the most important thing they looked at between the groups. That was the primary endpoint, the primary outcome they were looking at. The secondary outcomes, which are generally, we don't care about them that much, but let's just see so we have something, you know, something else to look at. We don't, you know, we're not going to just look at LDL cholesterol. Let's look at a few other things. But LDL cholesterol was the number one thing. And the secondary outcomes from baseline um, were uh, body weight. They looked at changes in body weight. They looked at uh, levels of fasting triglycerides. High-density lipoprotein, which if you guys listen to me enough, you know that's kind of nonsense. No one really cares. Glucose, insulin, uh, TMAO, this is that uh, trim trimethylamine, nitrous oxide, vitamin B12. Um, and then they wanted to look at, you know, diet quality, how well they adhered, you know, all that uh, kind of stuff. So it was definitely very well done, and they looked at some endpoints. Some of these endpoints, you know, I don't know that, they're that useful, like, you know, TMAO, vitamin B12, maybe just to see like if people are getting deficient in some vitamins because they're on a vegetarian type diet. Fasting insulin, eh, not sure that that really helps with anything. Uh, fasting triglycerides can be a little bit helpful, you know, to see maybe you had some improved lower, lower body weight, maybe improvement in insulin uh, resistance or sensitivity, things like that. But again, there's no target to treat for triglycerides. If you have super high triglycerides, a different story probably shouldn't be included in this study to begin with because uh, you have, you know, hypertriglyceridemia. That's a huge problem. But I feel like the primary endpoint was good. LDL cholesterol should have been ApoB, but LDL cholesterol is fine because we have that on everybody. And then some of these other ones are okay. Um, still good to look at, still interesting. A couple of important points. They excluded people that weighed less than 100 pounds. So this is kind of important because if you weigh less than 100 pounds, your biomarkers are probably going to be optimal just in general. Obviously, there could be exceptions. 
So they didn't want that, and they excluded people whose BMI was over 40. So they also excluded people who are incredibly overweight, uh, actually crossing into the obese range, uh, very obese. You know, They excluded those people, and they excluded people at an LDL cholesterol level of 190 or higher because obviously you that means you have familial hypercholesterolemia, dietary interventions aren't going to be as helpful. They do help, but it's you definitely need medications in that case. And uh, they also excluded people who had a very high blood pressure over 160 uh, or a diastolic over, over 90. Um, diastolic isn't that accurate the way most people measure it, but they definitely, you know, the 160 is probably a good cutoff. They also excluded people who were uh, pregnant. You know, they didn't want that in there. And that's about it. Those are kind of who they had. 22 pairs of twins that are 18 years and up that live together that kind of fit this criteria. Now, not only did they receive the foods, but they were also being taught uh, by a nutritionist. So it's not like we just send you food and say goodbye. There was also a check-in with a health educator or a counselor of some sort that talked to these people so that the also in the second four weeks where they were not provided food, they knew how to make the food that adhered uh, to that diet. So that was also very important. They were pretty strict about the food and uh, that makes a huge difference. You know, even though it's a free living study where people are outliving their lives, they were either provided the food for the first four weeks, talked to a nutritionist, an educator, and then the second four weeks, they tried to maintain that diet and stick to it. They were, the nutritionist emphasized the following, what they were called guiding principles. Number one, choose minimally processed foods. Number two, Build a balanced plate with vegetables, starch, protein, and healthy fats. Number three, choose a variety within each food group. Number four, individualize these guidelines to meet the preferences and needs. And they have like a whole table and supplement that you can read. It's um, it's a free paper. You can go to the uh, jamanetwork.com, the Journal of the American Medical Association uh, network.com. That's, uh, that's where it is. And it's free. You can access the entire thing. Um, super fascinating. You know, you probably should. So how did they know that the participants were adhering to the diet? So they had these surprised, unannounced uh, visits where they would come in and do a 24-hour dietary recall. So they would show up. They'd be like, hey, what did you eat 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago, an hour ago, three days ago? You know, it'd be like a 24 hours, you know, a questionnaire on what did you eat in the last 24 hours? And food frequency questionnaires have been validated. I talk about this in my new cholesterol book. People are like, well, how are you going to remember what you ate 30 years ago? Like, just stop. No one's asking you what you ate 30 years ago. And then people are like, well, what did you eat 30 minutes ago? I don't remember what I had for breakfast. Technically, you do. You could easily think about it and remember. But it's not how most food frequency questionnaires do it. They usually ask you, how many times a week would you say, or a day, would you say you eat a fruit or a vegetable? Or this, And then they also look at your food logs and validated or calibrated. We've talked about this in other podcasts. Scroll back a little bit um, and you can, you know, understand how the food frequency log things work, but they are validated and can be used. And uh, they're not like precise, but they're accurate enough that we can say with a good amount of confidence that they were sticking to or not sticking to the diet or the intervention that we asked them to. So they collected data on the participants three times, obviously at the beginning and then uh, at the end of, and they do an overnight fast 
so that you can get like really good fasting levels of some of these things. Um, they did it at the end of four weeks and then at the end of eight weeks. But there was a baseline at the end of four weeks and then at the end of uh, the eight weeks. So very, very what I would do. Like, you know, if I had to design this study, this is what I'd do. I would get some baseline numbers, switch up their diets, check them after the first four weeks when we are providing them food, and then check them again at eight weeks when they are making their own food, trying to stick to what we told them to stick to. So let us get to the results, the part you've been <laughs> waiting for. So the primary outcome was obviously the most important because, you know, what's the point of doing all this if your LDL cholesterol goes up or doesn't change or whatever? So in the, the participants receiving the vegan diet showed a decrease of 13.9 milligrams per deciliter uh, in the LDL cholesterol. 13.9 is a pretty good decrease. Obviously, if you guys have listened to me talk before, it's really not that huge. It is definitely down. So I think these people, I think starting out, had an LDL cholesterol of like 110, 115, somewhere in that range, and it dipped to just under 100. So it got them to goal. Um, the new guidelines want everyone's LDL cholesterol is under 100. If you want to be really certain, under 70. And then if you have atherosclerosis or what have you, if you watched my stuff and listened to it, you know we want it in the like 50s and sometimes 40s. Um, depending on the person, how much disease they have, if they've had recurrent ischemic events or cardiovascular events, etc. So that's actually not bad. A 13.9 decrease in the twin that was eating the vegetarian or vegan diet is actually pretty good. Um, so that is obviously good. And I'll, I'll get to my thoughts in the end, uh, but this is obviously very good. And obviously I will point out when you're starting LDL cholesterol is around 110, 114, that is harder to lower with diet. If you were in the 130s to 140s, 150s, 160s, diet would play a bigger role and it would be easier to lower. So these are people that are already like pretty close to goal uh, LDL cholesterol. So the diet is not going to make that much of a difference in these people, but it, but it did. So that's even more important to point out too. So let's get to the secondary endpoints. Now, these are obviously not as, impo as important. Obviously, as you guys know, from a cardiovascular standpoint, number one is LDL cholesterol because that causes atherosclerosis. So the next thing I found is that the secondary outcomes, fasting insulin decreased 2.9 in the vegan diet, which, you know, whatever, not a huge thing. Um, they also noticed uh, the vegan group lost 1.9 uh, kilograms of body weight. So that's pretty significant. Um, that's a huge difference. And sometimes the loss in body weight, if you guys have listened to my stuff, losing weight, no matter how you lose it, uh, will improve a lot of your cardiovascular biomarkers. And we'll get into that when I discuss this and give you my opinion towards the end. And the other group, the omnivorous diet group also lost weight. It just wasn't as much. They also said that the vegans experienced a larger but not significant reduction in fasting, high-density lipoprotein, triglycerides, vitamin B12, glucose, TMAO, and et cetera, et cetera. You know, all those things, not really uh, that exciting to me, at least. Um, not sure how those affect much. Obviously, the weight loss helps, and some of those things will go down with the weight loss alone, regardless of what diet you do. But definitely, the LDL cholesterol makes a huge difference. The researchers also note that the people on the omnivorous diet were more satisfied with their diet. And they did some uh, 
questionnaires or like a survey, the people on the omnivorous diet were more satisfied with the actual diet. So the vegan people didn't like their diet that they were assigned to as much as the uh, omnivorous diet, which makes sense. Anytime your diet is a little more restrictive, the higher chance of dropout. Some of these people on low-carb diets and keto diets have higher dropout rates because they can't stand the diet or just couldn't stick with it. And there have been studies that show more eating disorders associated with more restrictive diets, especially keto, low-carb, those kind of diets. And I've published those studies multiple times. So the other thing I will point out is that the vegan diet participants ate less calories. That is also important, which is why they lost more weight. So the question becomes like, what does this actually mean? Is a vegan diet superior? So if you've listened to me uh, over the over the years, we know that switching any diet almost to a more plant-based vegan diet definitely helps. And even if you don't switch your diet and you just add fruits and vegetables, whole grains, things like that to your standard diet, you do reduce your chance of heart attacks or strokes. All of your cardiovascular risk factors improve. So in the grand scheme of things, that's not new information. And when you lose weight, your cholesterol does improve slightly, not that much. So an LDL cholesterol dropping from 114 uh, down to 100, which is essentially what happened in this study, it's not a huge decrease and it's probably not due to the weight loss. Losing a few pounds here and there is not enough to cause, and even the effect size of losing weight and exercise, not that big on LDL cholesterol. But these people, their LDL cholesterol probably dropped mainly because they changed their diet. Diet has the biggest effect. If you had to measure effect size, diet is like 90%. And then exercise, quitting, smoking, uh, you know, all that other stuff. Effect on actual cholesterol is all, you know, minimal. 3%, 5%, 10%, you know, super low. But the single biggest factor is changing your diet, especially if you reduce saturated fat. So I know they have supplemental uh, tables and the fat distribution by phase and diet. So let me pull that up and I'll uh, go over that in a second here so you kind of know what kind of fats they were eating. So just going over the calorie counts, before the diet began, both sets of twins were eating about 1,900 calories. The first phase of the diet, the vegans ended up dropping to 1,600 while the omnivores dropped to about 1,800. So there was about a 200 calorie difference. Um, The fat intake on the vegan diet was about 600 total calories versus 630 versus 704. So a difference of about maybe 70. And then the second part of the diet where there was no food delivery and they were receiving it themselves, the calories were right around the same. And the fat was also pretty much right around the same, 614 in the vegans versus 727 in the non-vegans. So the fat alone uh, can account for the increased LDL cholesterol or the lack of decrease in LDL cholesterol. But they did both start eating about 100, at least in the omnivore group, about 100 less calories versus, you know, almost 300 less calories in the uh, uh, vegan group. And if you look at the total fat intake, if you look at the baseline saturated fat, both groups were eating about 250 calories from saturated fat. So whether you were assigned vegan or omnivore, about 254 to versus 258 calories from saturated fat, right? Uh, 
after the first the first four weeks, the vegan group was now eating only 130, so you know a little about 100 less, and the omnivore group was eating 186, which is also maybe 80 or 90 less. And then when they self-reported, um, they stayed about the same: 130 versus 129, and 186 versus 209. So the omnivore group maybe went up a little bit when they switch to self-reporting. So it's definitely an interesting uh, diet there and they and, and different, definitely an interesting difference there, I should say. And the food logs, if you go to the supplemental data and tables, is, is pretty interesting. You can go through and look at it. So what are my overall thoughts? So I don't know that this adds anything new to the discussion, nor did I know that it adds enough to get people to change. It, it adds to the overall totality of evidence for sure. Um, they can't really control for confounders. They did, but it's it's difficult because they lost weight. The vegans lost weight. They ate less calories and they ate less saturated fat, which in every study ever been done, we know that that lowers your cholesterol. I mean, that's not news. I don't think they they knew. I mean, they know that this the Stanford researchers were not like, oh my god. This is so weird. We didn't expect this at all. Like they knew that was that that those things happened. They just didn't know that it was going to happen this much. Like when they say, "Hey, let's design a study where we look at twins and we give half of them a vegan diet and half of them an omnivore diet, but healthy omnivore diet, what happens?" So definitely both groups were on a lower calorie diet when they were assigned to a healthy omnivore or healthy vegan. They both reduced caloric intake, less so on the omnivore more so on the vegan they did reduce saturated fat intake more so on the vegan than omnivore but both groups still did but i think that is why you see these outcomes now you might say well what about all-cause mortality <laughs> like what nobody's gonna die in eight weeks so just stop we're looking at biomarkers biomarkers are, are great at telling us what your ldl cholesterol is going to do which is great at telling us down the road on a long enough time horizon the area under the curve, if you've read my cholesterol book or you plan to, but the area under the curve will be greater for the benefit of lowering your LDL cholesterol. If you've watched or read many of my things, this kind of you know lower LDL on a long enough time horizon will definitely benefit you. Now, the, the good the question here is these uh, twins LDL cholesterol just barely got under a hundred, and my question is, how long do you want to live, you know, event-free? Just under 100 is good, and it meets the guidelines and criteria, but under 70 is better, or under 80 is better. If you look at all the stuff that I've published, the data, the research, and all that, we know the more aggressive you are with your cholesterol, the lower it is, the better, especially on a long enough time horizon. So do I think this is like the end-all, be-all study that will end all diets and make us all want to be vegan? No. But if you want to be vegan, it can definitely be healthier. And there's lots of people who are quote unquote vegan that are not healthier. Like if all you're eating is Pop-Tarts and Twinkies, not that I'm like shaming those foods or think they can't be part of a healthy diet. But like any diet that is all this and all that uh, is not going to be healthy. So definitely don't think that this is what that means. Oh, we should just be vegan. We can eat all the Pop-Tarts we want or candy bars or what have you. No. Uh, but anyways, definitely an interesting study. Definitely a very interesting way of looking at things when you do it this way. I uh, like it. I, I like it a lot. Um, I'm personally not vegan, obviously, 
but definitely this adds to the overall database of information that we know about these diets. And uh, it's a good study. So if you want to discuss it, jump into my community, drallo.net slash community. It's drallo.net slash community. Um, I'll see you on the other side if you want to discuss this in depth. But definitely a great overall study. I don't ever plan on running any ads on here, so please go to uh, the iTunes store or whatever it is. Scroll down a little bit. Leave some awesome reviews, especially if you leave text. That helps the most, but definitely leave some five-star reviews. I appreciate it, and I will catch you in the next episode. Peace.